With a website, it's much easier in that you can, you know, look at pages and you can just say, okay, this particular page, it makes sense to try this revenue model on this page. So you need to look at each page, and a lot of people don't do this, as a business. Like each page as its own separate business that would do well with that audience to that page. Hello, and welcome to another exciting episode of the Upflip Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Freeman, and my guest today is an expert in starting and growing an online business with seven in his current portfolio and plenty more that he's built and sold for an impressive profit. Ron Stefanski started his first online business, One Hour Professor, in 2014. It wasn't an overnight success, but he stuck with it, ultimately growing his online business portfolio past the seven-figure mark. He's here today to share what he learned during that process about the best way to start an online business and grow it to its full potential. Ron, thanks so much for joining us today. Hey, Alex. Thanks so much for having me. Excited to uh, to share some golden nuggets today. Yeah, looking forward to that as well. To start, what drew you to, to getting started with an online business? Were you working with online companies before you started One Hour Professor? Yeah, so I started out, uh, I was in corporate America, like many folks, and I was a marketing manager at a startup and then another company. And really what was kind of the the nail in the coffin, so to speak, is my commute was pretty brutal. It was an hour there, an hour back each day. And I spent a ton of time listening to podcasts out there, just kind of on online businesses and starting them. And every day you listen to it. And eventually it got to the point to where I was so tired of my commute, you know, getting tired of my boss. And I just decided hey, I'm going to jump in. Awesome. And can you give us an, an overview of the the websites that you've got today and, and which of those are, are getting the most traffic? Yeah. So typically, like in my, in my industry, kind of a best practice, we don't share the actual URLs of all the websites, uh, just because I've had some pretty awful experiences with people copying because I try to go for these weird niches uh, and things. Mm-hmm. But what I can do is tell you that um, the one that publicly is available is onehourprofessor.com. Um, I just sold one that was catkingpin.com. And I had another one that was jobsforfelonshub.com. I can tell you all about those because they're both sold off. Um, but in terms of my sites now, so I had the one-hour professor site. And then I also have um, in other niches, mostly it's it's business, fashion, and then kind of community types of sites, which are for folks who have a, like a, a common interest or issue. Like, for example, if you were to start a website on those who were um, breast cancer society, like survivors, right? That would be the type of website, like a community of people, right? So there's obviously a lot of different people have a lot of different issues and communities out there. So it's kind of along that, that vein of thought. And can you talk us through the kind of your total revenue for the portfolio combined and, and roughly what percentage of that is profit? Yeah. So I make roughly each month um, at present. And I also have always, I've, I've kind of built in public. I don't think a lot of people do that. But one of the things that I've always done since the beginning was built in public. So I have income reports on my site that kind of shows it's pretty neat to look back on them to see what I was making once. But at this point, making around 30000 a month in actual revenue. And how much I take off the table really depends on how hard I'm trying to grow the business and how much I'm reinvesting. Usually, I would say that I can run about an 85% profit margin. So it's it's not, you know, it's a pretty good profit margin with the business overall. Currently, I'm investing very heavily because I've sold, you know, some sites and I kind of have a stockpile of cash. So right now, it's probably at around like 10%. But month to month, my wife and I are fine. Our bills are all paid. And we get a stockpile of cash in case we get in trouble. So right now I'm investing very, very heavily with it. So uh, those numbers sound incredible and like the kind of thing that I think a lot of our listeners are like, oh, how do I get into that? So if someone wanted to start a new online business, 
what are some of the first steps they should be taking and before they launch to make sure they're set up for success? Yeah. So I think the biggest thing that a lot of people overlook is, you know, if you listen to a lot of the, so to speak, gurus out there, they're always just telling you like, Hey, follow your passions and everything. Well, that's great. Unless your passion doesn't pay, right? That's kind of the problem. (laughs) So I think the first thing that, and really what I emphasize with anybody that comes to me and is like, yeah, I'm looking to start a blog or website, whatever it may be is, Hey, let's, before we even dive into anything, and we really dive into like creating it and this, that, and the other, let's do a fair amount of research around the market, around the industry to really understand, is this a viable business model? Is it something that could actually pay you money? And I will say like, sometimes there's surprises. Uh, you know, when I first started out, obviously, so jobs for phones hub, that was my, one of my bigger sites. And that particular site, you know, you wouldn't think that there's much of a market, right? Because it's just, it's people who get out of prison. Obviously they don't have a ton of money and they're looking for a job that can pay. And there's different ways to make money with different sites. So I think looking at it, taking a step back, doing research to actually look at the market, there's different tools for this. There's uh, SEMrush is one of them, Ahrefs. Usually I'll dive into those tools to kind of see what you know, at holistically, that idea, kind of what the overall market volume is, who the competitors are, that sort of thing. That's really the first step before you get started with any of this. Do taking those steps also set you up for for fast growth? Or are there other things that a business owner should be doing as well to make sure they're set up to, to grow? I think in terms of fast growth, not necessarily. So for the most part, my business model relies on me finding some type of niche out there that I think, yeah, we're going to jump into and this is the one. And I focus a lot of my business on outsourcing content. So I'll find writers and I'll find an editor, make sure that we're producing quality content. And I just do that at scale, right? That's really what my business model is all about. I would say if you're if you're starting out and you're trying to you know launch and, and go rather quickly, obviously having a budget set aside for that. Uh, Cause some people think like, Oh yeah, it's just writing. It doesn't cut. Well, there is an investment here compared to a lot of traditional businesses. The investment can be a lot less, but there is an investment. So I would say usually the idea of have some type of budget set aside or the way I went about it when I first built the Jasper Fallon site, which was my first big one, I still had a full-time job. So I was kind of doing it as a side hustle and I'm a big fan of what I call calculated risk, right? So I caution people that just say like, yeah, I'm going to just quit my job tomorrow and go all in and hopefully I make it and they have $5,000 to do it. I'm not a fan of that. I'm risk adverse. So for me, it was, hey, let's have an income coming in. Let's build this site on the side until it gets momentum. And I think it was at like five or $600 a month is when I actually left my full-time job. So in terms of actually starting and getting quick success, if you will, I'd say that the fastest way is to have a budget set aside some money to help you outsource content higher writers. But that said, I do want to have a cautionary thing. Most websites, if you were to start a website today, most of them, it takes probably about six to eight months or so before you'll really see any good traffic or anything really coming in, which is not easy, especially if you're a beginner. It just takes some time because Google has a thing called the quote unquote sandbox, which kind of slows down the growth in the beginning. So when you talk about that budget, like, is there a a minimum that you'd recommend that someone should, should have set aside to make sure that they're setting themselves up for success? Yeah. It depends on how hard you want to go. Me personally, I'm actually, I'm literally enrolling out four sites this week, four new ones that I had ideas on that I've been waiting on and I'm doing $500 a month. And that's mostly going to be just kind of on content, a little bit of editing. And that should kind of give me an idea after you know, say six months. So you're looking at, you know, five grand or or, I'm sorry, three grand or so uh, to actually kind of get started. So when you were were first starting to launch sites, what was the biggest mistake that you made? And I guess the extension of that, would you do anything differently if you could, if you could start again with the knowledge you have today? 
Yeah, I think when I was first started launching sites, one of the common problems that I think most entrepreneurs have, you have the shiny object syndrome. So you, you and websites are really, really, really easy because you can have an idea and tomorrow, right, you can have a site launch. So for me, the biggest thing was staying focused on one site. I, I typically would start and, you know, I'd launch all these different sites at once. Now, nowadays, I've been doing this for quite some time. You know, I've been at it for what about eight years or so. So I'm able to launch four websites in a week. I have a whole team to support me, et cetera. In the beginning, when it was just me and maybe one other part time writer, probably not the smartest move. So I would say having that focus was probably the biggest mistake that I didn't have uh, when I first started out. And I'm sorry, what was your second question? I didn't, I didn't catch up. Uh, what would you do uh, differently if you were to start again with the knowledge you have today? I would focus a lot more and <laughs> I, would, uh, I would also, uh, I would have started earlier. Um, the, the beauty of this, so there's so many businesses out there. I come from a family of entrepreneurs. My dad's one. So many businesses are, are very capital intensive, especially in the beginning. Websites are different in that, you, you know, it can be capital intensive, but if you're kind of hesitant to do that and want to take a, what I call calculated risk, you know, you can take $5,000, start a website. And that's a pretty good, I mean, even $3,000, like I said, that's a pretty good starting point to kind of see if you can get the momentum and if you can get things going. So I would say starting earlier would be my, my first thing. And then also just the focus when I actually had chosen an idea moving forward. A quick note for our listeners, for more in-depth advice on how to start a business in any niche, check out the Upflip Hub at upflip.com slash learn. Ron, on the, on the subject of, of niches, um, how do you choose the niches for each of your sites. Can you talk through the market research that that an online business owner should do to be verifying that they have a profitable business idea? The two tools that I rely the most on, well, the main tool I re- rely the most on is ahrefs.com. So this is basically a tool out there that will kind of help you understand, you know, what things are being searched each month in Google and how difficult they are to rank for and also like the volume of search. Right. So if there's 10,000 searches a month, it'll tell you, yeah, this one has 10,000 searches a month. And if you look at those in aggregate, you know, I'll use the, the breast cancer survivor example that I, I said earlier. So if we were to go into Ahrefs and we just type in breast cancer survivor, right, it's going to spit back thousands of different keyword variations, so terms that people type into Google. What you're able to do is you're able to look at that and then you're able to see the total aggregate search volume. Okay, so you're able to see how many searches are in this entire market, so to speak, throughout a whole month. If that number, I mean, it just kind of depends on where you are, but if that number is, I'd say over 50, 60,000, it can very well um, be a business, but you know, some, some it's, it's difficult. Some sites can be actually a lot less traffic and still do really well. So I spend a lot of time first doing that to see if it's even a viable idea. And then the next thing I do before I invest anything is I, and I don't act on it right away, but I look at the business, the site, and I think, okay, well, how can I actually monetize this? Right. There's a lot of different ways to monetize sites. So kind of think about what are the different ways that we can make money with it? The easy ones are like display ads and affiliate marketing, but there's a lot more that you can do when you dive deeper into it. What is the thought process of like, okay, is this actually monetizable? And like how you check off and say, okay, this is an option for this site. This is an option for this one. This one's not going to work for this one. How do you handle that thought process? Yeah. So the low hanging fruit 
with any website is display ads. So for those that don't know, basically Google AdSense exists. This is a platform that all you do is you take a little snippet of code. I'm not a coder, by the way. You take a little snippet of code, you copy and paste into your site, and then they'll show all the ads for you, which is really nice because you know you don't really have to do much work beyond that. So that's like the low hanging fruit is that one. Next is affiliate marketing where you, you know, with Amazon, for instance, you can just refer people over to products with Amazon and people click and they buy them. Right. So that's like the two very low hanging fruit, easiest ways to make money. And frankly, almost all sites can do those two things. Almost all sites can do those two things. Then when you get deeper into it, you have to think, okay, well, is there any other things that I can do? So for example, with the Jazz for Felons hub site, while I was building it out, you know, I had kind of gotten into the subject, oh, getting record expungements, what they call them. And that's basically if someone has a criminal record, how to expunge them, how to get them off of their background checks so that they can actually get a job, right? So I found that, frankly, just by writing content and kind of learning more as I went. And that was a great situation because then I was able to sell leads to lawyers, right? So, you know, things like that. Also, education materials is a big one. If you can create, you know, whether it be an ebook or a course, most businesses can also support that sort of thing. So I think looking at that before you jump in and thinking, okay, well, I can't do all this today, but, you know, maybe eventually I can create a course. Maybe I can create a community with a membership component to it, right? Like 50 bucks a month and we can get a hundred members in there, things like that. I think it's just worth thinking about in the beginning. It doesn't mean that you're going to act on it right away, but I think it's very important to kind of understand, okay, right now I can do display ads and affiliate, but in the future, we can probably add these things and none of that's set in stone right? So I'll do it. Sometimes it works out that way. Sometimes it doesn't. But I think having that in the beginning to understand, you know, where it could end up is a good idea. Does how you've chosen to monetize the site change the type of lead funnel that you might be might be building for the site? And what are some of those productive strategies for for converting leads into sales? You know, that's kind of the beauty of a site. It's not built into a business like a physical location. You build something and it's there. Uh, and it's not going to change much. You know, you can add and remove things, little machines or whatever it may be, but it's, it's pretty concrete with a website. It's much easier in that you can, you know, look at pages and you can just say, okay, this particular page, it makes sense to try this revenue model on this page. So when someone's looking at the site, I think that they, and a lot of people don't do this. You need to look at each page as a business, like each page as its own separate business. Right. And I know that that sounds weird. And majority of them, sure, it could just be display ads where Google AdSense is showing ads and there's not much to make there. But then you get into the idea of um, I'll just go back to my previous example. We had a lot of content on how to get an expungement in every state within the U.S. Right. So the, the process of getting expungements for those who had a criminal record. So it really came down to, okay, in the beginning, it was just display ads, right? We were showing ads on the pages, which was great, made some money, not that much, lowest hanging fruit. But then we looked at it and said, okay, well, this funnel, looking at it, we, we obviously can sell those leads when I kind of figured that out. So what we did is we partnered with a third party. We put a iframe on the site, which is you know something you embed and somebody can fill out the forms. And then it pushed it over to them. You know, and it'll push the leads over to them. And we sold the leads to them. But if you're doing something where you're trying to sell courses, maybe you set up an email, which is, you know, I do that with my one hour professor site. People come to the site and it's, you know, one of the, the pop-up, so to speak. One of the things I have is, hey, do you want to start a blog? If they say yes to that, then they're asked to go into my email list. And then by the end of that, they will basically have earned me some affiliate income. And then later I can pitch them on buying my four paid courses, right? So it really just depends. I mean, there's so many different business models out there, but just think of each page as its own individual business and you can figure out a funnel that would do well with that audience to that page. 
Now, uh, going back to kind of niche selection, say somebody is like, okay, yeah, this all sounds great. I want to get into an online business. I don't really have a particular passion that I want to dive into or an idea in that regard. Are there ways to ideate about what might be a good niche to step into? You know, like I said, a lot of people will say, hey, just just follow your passions. And they just say, just follow your passions. I don't believe in that because like I said, some some passions just don't pay. So the way that I do it, and I'm a little bit different in this, some people will just build, you know, generalist sites to where they can write about a bunch of different things and then they can, whatever their their site gets picked up on in Google, right? That's where they'll focus. So for instance, you know, you may do a pet site, right? And you may say, well, I'm going to write about dogs, cats, uh, lizards, all these different things. And then you find that, hey, Google seems to, for whatever reason, like my content about lizards. So I'm going to focus on lizards, right? You can go that broad, broad approach. The one I like to do is I just typically will take a step back. I'll look in Google Trends, which will help you understand, you know, different things that are trending on the internet. And I just, you know, I look in these like Ahrefs, just keyword tools do very broad searches to try to find these weird things that don't have as much competition that a lot of people aren't focused on. Frankly, I don't really have a passion for many of the things that I built sites on. Um, I really don't. You know, there's there's a few that I do, but for the most part, I'm not writing in any way. So I'm okay. You know, I, j- I just get excited about growing a business. So for me, finding those topics really is just kind of taking a step back, looking around your everyday everyday life and maybe thinking of, you know, your loved ones, et cetera. What are some of the problems they have? What are some things? Whatever they're experiencing, there's tens of thousands of people, if not hundreds of thousands, if not millions in the world experiencing the same thing. So taking a step back and thinking about those before you even dive into doing, like I said, the the keyword research stuff, I think that's the right way to go. Because, you know, if you write down five, 10 ideas, you may find a couple of them will have some merit, right? So that's usually how I do it. But yeah, I don't think passion, some people say you have to have passion. I don't think that's a requirement. I think that you should just kind of think about who needs help, communities, you know, if you want to throw your passions in there too, do that. And then just, you have to actually look at these tools to determine if it's a viable business model. When you do uh, start to launch that site, what is the best way to bring some of that initial traffic to a brand new online business? So when you do SEO, right, which is search engine optimization, getting people to your site from search engines, like I said, that's going to take a while. That's going to take like six to eight months for the most part before you see anything trickle in. So frankly, that's not the best way in the beginning, but that's also not the only way. I typically do focus on that model because it's nice because you get people in and then you don't have to continually work to bring them in, right? Once you're ranking in Google for something, it'll keep bringing traffic over. That said, there's plenty of people out there who build their sites off of paid traffic, right? They'll actually use Google ads or something and bring people to their site. Or even more popular than that is social media. So it really depends on where your expertise is and what you'd prefer to use. But if you're looking to go at it from the start and have kind of, you know, come running out of the gate, you really have to diversify beyond SEO in order to do that right out of the gate, for sure. Can you talk about the the necessity for a deep knowledge of SEO for your online business's success? Like, why is it important to go to go learn SEO and how deep of a knowledge should somebody go gain if they're going to dive into this? Yeah, I think um, I think a lot of people are intimidated by it. I think if they look at it and think like, oh, God, I got to have years and years and years of as a practitioner. I didn't. You know, I, I was a digital marketing manager. I knew basic terminology. But when you're at the corporate level, you're not doing that stuff every day. Right. So you kind of learn a lot as you go. I think that really the most important thing is understanding keyword research, which is the part 
part of SEO that, again, will help you determine if it's a viable business and understand what you should write about, what topics. I think that is extremely important. I think that part of it is extremely important. But when it comes to SEO overall, there's basically, you know, and you can just do research in probably a week or so and find, you know, podcasts and, and blog posts talking about best practices. Most people are really saying the same thing, to be honest. It's not rocket science when it comes to that. You know, there's different things that you want to do, but generally the biggest thing would be the keyword research and then just kind of following general SEO best practices from there. That in and of itself would work pretty well. What tips do you have for SEO best practices? So again, keyword research, I, I don't want to keep harping on it, but I kind of have to because I feel like people overlook that. So I think that's a big thing, you know, lead with data, always use data to determine what you should do. That's where that comes in. And then from there, in addition with SEO, you know, a lot of people look at, you know, they're looking at blog posts and like, well, how many words should I write? That's where a lot of people focus. And, and then they think, well, how often should I use the, the target keyword, right? How, many, how often should I do that? Don't overthink it. So really, it's pretty simple. If you're trying to rank for a term, right, go into Google, type that term into Google and look at the top three to five results. That's what Google wants. It's really that simple. So look at those top three to five results. Look at what they're writing about. Create something that maybe is kind of a culmination of all of them and covers all the stuff that they're covering. If not, maybe a little bit more would be ideal in terms of like the blog post that you're about to create. And then you create that, you put that out there. With SEO, you want to make sure that you are you know, and this gets a little bit more technical, but you're linking in between posts. So if you write post A on Monday and post B on Thursday, you want to link those two together. So kind of refer to them, you know, click to them or make it so that people can click from one to the other to understand, to to connect them rather. So that would be the, the main things, really. I mean, there's there's more to it, but that would be probably the main, very easy to understand things. And then the other thing with SEO is that it's important to do link building. So that is basically getting other websites to link to your website. So the, the lazy man's way and what most people want to hear is that that is not a requirement. And if you're focused on SEO, it is not a requirement, but it may take you two years, you know, a year and a half to really get anything going on a site. If you do a little bit of link building in the beginning and you start that out, then you'll find that the trajectory is a lot faster. So kind of in summation, I'd say the content, quality of content is very important as well. Making sure that you're up there and, you know, creating the best type of content you possibly can on the topic. Uh, and then again, getting some links uh, from other sites is, is definitely a big thing as well. What about uh, SEO don'ts? Are there, is there anything that new business owners often get wrong about optimizing their site for search engines? Yeah, they focus way too hard on the small details uh, with the various tools out there. There's so many different tools. Uh, WordPress, you know, they have uh, Yoast SEO and Rank Math. There's all these different tools and, you know, they'll give you a content score and all this stuff. Frankly, it's mostly just kind of a bunch of fluff. I don't really believe in all that. I actually I laugh when people are doing that because I never even look at those things. I just basically will have content written and I'll, I'll have the writers write it naturally. So I'm not saying, oh, well, you know, we're, we're focused on this keyword. So I need you to put it into the content 14 times. And, you know, it has to be X percentage of the total words. That stuff does get calculated by other tools. I, I think that's kind of nonsense. I don't think it's necessary. You, you know, you're writing for humans. So just write something good for humans and you should be fine. And then the other thing is, like I already mentioned, People don't like to build links to their sites. It's not easy to do. You know, there's a lot of work involved to do that. And most people don't want to do it because it is a lot of work. That's a mistake, without a doubt. Yeah, you know, we've obviously been talking a lot about uh, content marketing just now. Um, and so I'm curious if if it is primarily like blog posts and articles that really help you grow your brand as an online business, or are there other types of content marketing that are valuable for attracting customers? 
Yeah. So blog posts, you know, depending on the niche you're in, it, it can be a big thing. I've had ones where that's pretty much the whole focus of the whole site, but I've had others that are not. For instance, uh, I just sold, like I said, a, a website, catkingpin.com and content marketing. One part of that content marketing was me with the blog post. Another part was me actually creating pages on the site. And what those pages were is it listed breeders. So all the different types of cat breeders throughout the United States. We also did Canada and Europe. So it was basically a giant directory of cat breeders uh, that really exists. So these weren't blog posts. These were just kind of listings on the page. And lo and behold, when I ended up selling it, that was the most valuable asset because, you know, we ended up selling leads or I'm sorry, we ended up um, hosting uh, forms from breeders. And then they would say, yeah, you know, I, I, I'm trying to get rid of, you know, three or four cats. We would end up taking an ad. Uh, they would take an ad from us, get pay- we get paid and then we would post their ad. Right. So that's the thing to think about is that I call them like databases. It's not really databases, but it's just like this generic name that I've made in that blog posts are great, but informational databases, things like that can be extremely valuable as well. And also with content marketing, I mean, you know, that's a, a very broad term. You know, you could be talking about your social media, you know, and you could be talking about your email marketing. There's so many different things that fall under the umbrella of content marketing as a whole. So I would say for me, the blog posts, the databases, and then kind of if we're talking about content marketing as a whole, um, just copywriting on your main pages. So making sure that they stand out, copywriting on your calls to action, copywriting, you know, if you're trying to get people to join an email, those are all very important things as well, if not more important, because it's great to get the traffic, but if you can't convert these people to sign up for your email list or anything else, you're not going to build a lasting relationship with them at all. How much does the the overall design of the site influence an online business's success? Like what are some of the must-have features of a well-designed online business? Yeah, it's funny that you ask this. So when I start a site, it is extremely ugly. I use like the WordPress default theme. I don't care in the beginning when I first start out really at all. Uh, The reason for that, like I said, I focus on SEO and it takes six to eight months to really start seeing anything. So for me, it's like, why put any effort into this idea until, you know, six or eight months down the road when it actually has a little bit of momentum. But when you do get to a site that has a little momentum, has a little bit of traffic at that point in time, I I think, you know, there are some, some key things that I always focus on. So First off, just branding, branding best practices, right? So consistent colors throughout the site, you know, calls to action. So if you have buttons on your site and you make it on the homepage, your button is red. Uh, Make sure every single call to action, every button on your site is now red. That is a brand color. So I think consistent colors to kind of give it a cohesive feel while people are navigating around the site is important. I personally am really big on having all the links on the site to be the default blue color. We all know what I'm talking about. That's just, you know, most sites, they have that default blue color. I prefer that. I think most people are just used to that. Some sites change that color. I don't like to do that. I just think it's a weird um, thing that people do and not a best practice. And then the other thing is that when I am creating content, I always like to have a table of contents on the page itself or on the blog post itself. Usually if you're looking at one of the sites that I own, You'll see the content on the left. Uh, if you're on desktop, you'll see the content on the left. And on the right side, you'll see a table of contents that people can kind of click around and, you know, because they can quickly see kind of at a glance, like what is the summary of the whole article all about? If you're on mobile, which is a whole different discussion, you actually don't see that table of contents because it's a lot more difficult to manage that from a mobile perspective. So, yeah, for me, I would say before you dive deep into making a perfect logo, making it all look really great, da 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 just put something up that's kind of ugly. If you're focused on SEO, I should preface with that. Just put something up that's kind of ugly because it doesn't matter if it's ugly in the beginning because no one's going to see it anyway. 
So this is going to bring us to a section of the show that we call our Fan Blitz questions. These come from our YouTube community. Listeners out there, you can go find Upflip on YouTube, youtube.com slash Upflip and join the community and you can post questions to future podcast guests. So we're going to try and get through about five or six questions in a little over a minute. So here we go. Huna Carfunkel's asking, uh, you lose everything. No business, no money. You have to start from scratch. How do you rebuild your empire step by step in today's economy? Just like you build every site. Uh, so I research the niches to find the one that seems to have some promise. I start to build. I write about the topic. I guess post on other sites or respond to help a reporter out to get links. I write more content. And then once profitable, I would hire someone to help and then I would scale. Romo asks, how do you find the best and most competent people to bring into the organization? And how do you network to gain as much value from others as possible? So in terms of employees slash people, uh, I focus most in my business is mostly about the writers and editors. So I post on Upwork, which, you know, online job platform, ProBlogger is another one. And then I'll test three to five per assignment to find the best one. And networking, usually I do that through Facebook groups. And that just comes naturally over time. I don't really focus on, you know, getting value from them. I just kind of network and talk to people. And over time, you just build relationships. Muse3223 is asking for a checklist of business attributes that you find desirable. For websites, it would be obviously profitable, diversified, U.S.-focused traffic, a strong backlink profile, quality content, and it'd be ideal if they had a scalable process uh, or like documentation to scale the business. Gennaro Bergeron is asking what the org structure looks like for your companies. Is, Is each site siloed or do you leverage roles across multiple brands? I treat each site as its own separate business, its own entity. I will have usually one editor and then one, two, maybe three writers, depending on how hard I'm scaling. That's usually how I'll set them up. The question of do I use the roles across brands? Yes, I do. I try. I tend to do that more with editors. I try not to do that too much with writers. Sometimes if I get a really good writer, I will. But I prefer my writers to have some experience in the niche. So it's kind of hard to do that when you have a lot of random ideas. M9U7 Shuriken asks, uh, how do you find a problem that you can capitalize on? I just sit back and think. I think I think in today's world, there's way too much uh, stuff going on. And sometimes put the phone away and grab a pen and paper and just think about your, like I said, think about your loved ones, your family, friends, think about problems that they have, think about things that people are dealing with, think about trending things, write them all down. And then after that, you can go to these tools to actually research to see if they're viable. If something happens to you, what happens to the business? My wife has a very cool spreadsheet that would uh, help her understand who to go to to sell everything. Uh, And I'd probably just sell everything uh, because you can get some pretty good multiples in this industry. Uh, So, yeah, I'd sell everything if that was the case. Uh, Last, what's the worst name that you could give your business? I'm not really sure how to answer this one. (laughs) I think I think uh, I mean, I call it a media company whenever anybody asks. But, you know, when it comes down to the business as a whole, if people ask you what you do, it's it's extremely difficult because you say, oh, yeah, I, I, websites. Oh, you build websites. I have, an, I, oh, I have a website deal. You build my website. It's like, no, that's not what I do. So I don't know necessarily the worst name that it would be, but that's kind of how I talk about it as a, as a media media business. That's going to do it for our fan blitz questions. Again, these come from our YouTube community. Go to Upflip on YouTube and join the community and you can post questions to future podcast guests. Ron, what social platforms are the most useful for engaging with customers as an online business? 
Yeah, so I personally am not huge on social media with most of my businesses. Um, I'm just not. It's not something that I've ever found to be a requirement. But in certain businesses, I do a little bit more than others. So I found usually in terms of creating communities and really connecting with your customers, probably YouTube and also Facebook, but not like Facebook pages. I actually start Facebook communities. So an example of that, like I said, I had the Cat Kingpin website. And I created a community for cat lovers on Facebook. And that's nice because you get a whole community of people that converse with each other as opposed to brand talking to person. It's a community of people kind of sharing the same thing. So generally YouTube and Facebook, I would say, and then also Instagram and TikTok are good as well for those who have kind of figured it out. How does an email list factor into all of this? So how do you how do you go about building an email list and what kind of email marketing content are you finding gets the best engagement? Depending on the site, I will build an email list. So it really does depend on what the topic is. And if you really have anything of value to offer them with email, I think email is great. It's one of the best ROI things that you can do. But for instance, if you have a site that just focuses 100% on display ads, it may not make the most sense to have an email list. So depending on what the niche is, yes, I, I usually do have an email list. In terms of how I build it, I don't really start it until the website has traffic because it's really difficult to do that anyway, right? So when it has traffic, then I can start to funnel that traffic towards you know the actual email list. Usually that means I'm giving away something for free, whether it be a checklist or uh, one of my favorite little hacks is I just tell them, hey, if you're interested in joining our Facebook community, which I just talked about that in the last question, you know, you can just join our email list. So that's a nice, you know, way to give them something upfront of value. And it, you know, just to get the invite, they do that. In terms of the email content that I actually create, really, again, it just depends on the site, you know, depending on what the brand is. With the one hour professor site, I'm, I'm really providing a lot of value with creating blogs. And then, you know, over time, I'm sending them emails, just helpful tips, information, not really asking for much. I kind of lead by giving information for free. And then that way, when I'm launching a course or whatever, I kind of hit them hard when I'm actually in sales mode. And I don't get a lot of complaints because I offer a lot of value for free up front. So I think that's probably the best way to do it. You oversee multiple websites and businesses. How do you manage your own workflow to make sure that uh, nothing falls through the cracks? So this was a big thing of improvement for this year. Uh, that's why I can scale now even better. I used to use Google Sheets, Google Docs, which is fine, but I found that that's just not enough. So I now use Trello to, it, you know, I create a board for every website I create. And that board basically has every step that's required from idea of a post all the way through publishing it and finalizing it. It has a step every, you know, it has something to do every step of the way. Uh, and then I just kind of clue in the right team members at each step of the way. So I'm a huge fan of Trello. I think that's a really, really big one. I also use a platform called Manage WP, which is nice. It basically makes it so that I can, because security can become an issue with websites, obviously. So it helps me kind of manage everything and do monthly updates within the, the sites as well. That's definitely a big thing that I do. I still use Google Docs, but usually just to kind of house the documentation that I need for whatever site it may be. Uh, I will say with a website business, it makes sense to create something that needs to be done. You just create the 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 entire process, put it into a document, and then you can share that multiple times so that if and when a writer leaves or an editor leaves, you can just share that same document with them, right? So I like to do that overall. And I'd say those are probably the main ones. And I use Ahrefs, right, for, for competitor research. What are the metrics or KPIs that you're tracking for each of the sites? And, and how are you tracking and analyzing those metrics? 
I try not to spend all day, every day inside analytics. I do definitely lead with data. One of the, the things that can kind of kill you as a website owner is just every day harping on your analytics because frankly, it's not your best use of time, right? I think I think monthly is probably a better use of time, kind of looking at how the site's trending. My KPIs, uh, I will generally look at how much revenue is occurring for every 1,000 visitors on the site. I'll look at the overall revenue for every 1,000 visitors and what that comes out to. I'll look at the overall traffic. I will also look at the total revenue. Those are really the three that I focus on because I think those are definitely the most important to kind of see where they're trending. And then in terms of you know, tools that I use. I mean, really, it's just Google Analytics. It's, it's nothing fancy. It's totally free to use. So I use Google Analytics. And then when it comes to knowing my revenue, that's just looking at my PayPal, my bank account, and my affiliate accounts once a month. And that's one of the reasons I love doing my income reports, right? Because it keeps me honest, keeps me looking at all those things. So I just look at all those and I just throw out all the revenue into different buckets and then I analyze it from there. You mentioned that when you got started, you were you were still working a, a, a job. So um, how many hours a week should someone expect to be putting in when they're first getting started? And what's the most productive way for them to use their time? Especially if you're just starting out, you're totally green at this, you're brand new. You're probably going to spend, well, if you're not working full-time already, probably 40 hours a week plus at first. There is a steep tech learning curve with WordPress and all these different tools that I'm talking about. I've been using for years, but for those that are beginning, there is a steep learning curve in the beginning trying to figure that out. But once you have kind of gotten those figured out, and I'd say within you know a couple of weeks, you won't be a master, but you'll be you'll be pretty good with them. The, the most productive thing at that point is going to be the keyword research and figuring that out. And then writing the content is obviously very, very important. So spending a lot of your time writing the content or outsourcing if you you know already have a budget set aside if you're not doing it yourself and then the quality assurance not only writing the content but editing the content so if you have a budget great you can probably at the very least find a writer and an editor to do this for you but you still want to look it over right if you're doing it yourself maybe you just become the writer and then you hire someone to be the editor for a second set of eyes of everything or you can just write it yourself and then the next day look at it as the editor which is what i did when i first started out so but yeah the most productive thing is focus on creating content i talk about link building that the most productive thing in the beginning for sure is just create good content can you talk to us a bit about what some of those roles that it makes the most sense for a business owner to outsource to a freelancer and then of course you mentioned upwork are there any other places that you're looking to hire those freelancers the things that makes the most sense for sure would be writing. Even if you're a good writer, which I consider myself a pretty good writer, it just takes a lot of time. doesn't matter how good of a writer you are. It just takes a lot of time to write. So I'm a big fan of outsourcing that as quick as I can. Maybe, you know, in the beginning, maybe you write a little bit yourself. You also outsource that to another writer to help you double your output. So I think that's the biggest thing. Like I said, getting an editor in place is nice. And, and it's really not that expensive because they may, you know, you can set, find someone on Upwork in the U.S., who charges maybe like 15, 20 bucks an hour. It doesn't take more than 20, possibly 30 minutes to edit most articles, right? So it's actually pretty affordable to do that. And then also I have hired out people to help me, a virtual assistant to help actually post the content on my site, right? I don't think everyone needs to do that, especially if you're in the beginning stages. You can do it yourself to figure it out. But over time, I'd say you can do that. In, in terms of where I find my writers and, and all that, yeah, Upwork is definitely a big one for me. I definitely do a lot there. And then in terms of writers, the other one is the pro blogger. It's pro blogger job board. I'm a big fan of that one as well. But there's also Facebook groups. There's a lot of different places to, to find them, but I prefer probably those two. And then there, there's honestly full agencies that will do this for you as well. A lot of those too. So just depends on the route that you want to go. What's the biggest challenge of running an online business? Just uh, Google can be fickle. You know, uh, I have a site right now that has been doing well for 
two, three years, it was making around, it was about $6,500 at one point. Uh, very, very passive. I barely ever looked at the site, quite frankly. I know Tim Ferriss has his four hour work week. I mean, I was having four hour work months uh, at one point, And I mean that, uh, but over time, I, I don't know exactly why we keep producing content. And Google has decided they no longer like that site. And now it's making around 2,500 a month. And now I'm trying to diagnose, well, what, you know, what do you not like about it anymore? Because they liked it for a long time. So that's without a doubt the biggest challenge uh, and why people should diversify over time. Once they have one site, think about a second and a third, you know, just diver- or diversify your revenue to where you're doing consulting, things like that. How many websites have you have you started and sold? And as you're getting a site started, is the plan always to eventually sell it? Or how do you kind of arrive at the decision that, okay, this is a, a site ripe to find a new buyer? Yeah. So every single website I've ever I've ever owned, I've created from scratch. Some people buy them and that works for them. I, I just have trust issues. Uh, so I don't I don't typically do that too often. So I have started every website that I've ever owned. I've sold four sites at present. I go into pretty much every site thinking, not thinking, oh, I'm going to sell this, but thinking, hey, if the price is right, I'll sell this. Or maybe, hey, you know, if I'm not, if I lose my interest in this, or maybe Google hits it, you know, maybe, yeah, I can get rid of it. I'm not really married to any of my sites. I think my the one that I'm closest to would be the one hour professor one, my main one. But even that at the right price one day, not right now, one day, I would consider selling that as well. So I'm kind of open to whatever, whatever makes sense for the business. Since you got started in 2014, what's been the biggest change in the landscape of online business and how have you adapted to that change? I would say the biggest change, again, is Google. That's the most difficult thing about this business is that it's a moving target and it's frankly a black box, meaning they'll come out with an algorithm update. They'll announce, hey, we're doing an algorithm update and then it happens and then your site drops 30% in traffic. You have no idea how to fix it which is scary, but that's kind of the reality of what's happening uh, right now, especially. So I, th- I feel like they've been getting into a lot more of that than they were in the past. It used to be a little bit more stable. Now it's becoming a little bit more volatile than it was in the past, which I'm not much of a fan of, but you know, it is what it is. And in terms of adapting, you know, I try to diversify my sites, have them in, in different areas. And uh, when a site is hit, I'll try to diagnose it. And, and sometimes I've been right. Sometimes I've been wrong on that. But just kind of looking at, you know, objectively taking a step back and thinking, well, why why wouldn't Google like this? Right. What, what is it that they may like? And trying to figure out that answer, but not always a hit on that one. I understand that you may not want to openly reveal some underserved niches that are ripe for business opportunity, but are there any that you might want to identify as, okay, that's really oversaturated or might be a poor choice for a new business? Yeah. So this one's tough for me because frankly, if something is underserved and I know of it, I've already created a site there. I just had to be honest. So (laughs) generally speaking, it's hard for me to give ideas like that. I would if I had them, um, but I just don't have a ton. What I I will say as a cautionary tale, try not to focus on uh, what is YMYL sites, like kind of a niche. So what that means is your money, your life. So that basically is like uh, financial uh, advice and medical advice. I highly advise everyone to stay away from those because Google is very stringent on the folks that actually create the content there. They look very hard at those sites because those have serious, serious impact on people's lives. So if you have a site, you know, a medical site, they want to know, and there are ways, you know, if you're a doctor, you can do that, but you need to make it clear who you are, that you're an authority in the field. There's a lot of other things that go into those particular areas that I don't think they're as uh, crazy about in, in, you know, other niches that are out there. So I would say not to go for those, but otherwise, yeah, you know, if you see an opportunity or, you know, if there's some competition, that's okay. They've just proven the business model. So, you know, just looking out there and and finding the ones that make sense to you and kind of diving in. 
What's one thing you wish you knew before you started your business and how would that have helped you grow? It took me years to experience a situation where Google hit one of my sites and I lost, you know, 30, 40% of traffic overnight. So I would say in the beginning, understanding that better and understanding that none of this is in concrete. I know people who have sites that, you know, were making $10,000 a month and then they neglected them and then they've fallen to like $500 a month over time. I've seen that happen personally. So I think in the beginning, understanding that and that nothing is forever. And I think I did a decent job with that because I started to diversify early. But I think that's important to understand. Nothing is forever and it's okay to sell your business sometimes. That was one thing I didn't want to do. I resisted for years and that's okay to do sometimes if it makes sense for your business and it's going to keep everything going. I think that makes sense to do. If you could pick uh, the one thing that people are going to take away from this interview, what would it be? Hopefully they'll take away that if they're going to go this business model, they need to focus on keyword research. I don't know if it's not sexy. It's not like the coolest thing in the world, but it's so important to lead with data before you jump in. So yeah, I would say I hope most people will take that away from this. What's your favorite business book and why? I talked about it earlier a little bit. Uh, Four Hour Workweek, I would say is my favorite business book. And if you want to know the honest to God truth, I don't read a ton of books. I listen to some audio books and things like that. That's probably my favorite because it's the last one that I actually read cover to cover. That's probably my favorite one. That's why, if I'm being honest. That is going to do it for this episode of the Upflip podcast. To our listeners out there, if you'd rather buy a business than build one from the ground up, you can find businesses for sale on the Upflip listings, or you can see more interviews with successful business owners. You can check out our YouTube channel or earlier podcasts in the feed. Ron Stefanski of One Hour Professor, among many other sites. Thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, it was awesome. I had a great time. Thank you. Thank you.